the Midtown Detroit studios of WDET. This is Detroit Today. Two sides of the criminal justice system will join today to talk about how they fared in the budget passed by Michigan lawmakers and signed by Governor Gretchen Whitmer this week. We'll hear from prosecutors who feel they have been a bit shorted and from indigent defense advocates who got a boost. Then we're going to talk about the milestone education budget with Darren Camilleri, who chairs the Senate Education Committee and is the assistant leader for the Democratic majority. That's all next on Detroit Today. But first, the news from NPR. Welcome to Detroit Today on 101.9 WDET. I'm your host, Stephen Henderson, and I'm really glad you've decided to join us today. There's a reason that the symbol for the court system in this country is the scales, the scales of justice. On the surface, it's because these courts exist to balance the arguments between two or more parties to get at the truth to provide justice, blind justice, for those of us who have disputes. But in practice, that balance can often feel like it is influenced as much by money as anything else. For a lot of people, it feels like whatever side has the most money gets the most justice. On Monday, Governor Gretchen Whitmer signed Michigan's new $57.4 billion budget into law. It apportions money for not only our county prosecutors, those who try to bring people to justice in the criminal justice system, but also for those who can't afford legal representation when they are accused in our courts. The budget approves tens of millions of dollars in new funding to provide representation for defendants in criminal cases who just can't afford it on their own. However, this funding also occurs, as prosecutors argue, they face challenges in handling their ever-increasing caseloads. We always say that budgets are moral documents. They're outlines of the things that we value and prioritize. And they tell us which things we value more than other things. But in this case, what are the issues that face both sides of this argument? Are the scales of justice, or specifically our state's budget in this case, tipping too far to one side and not enough to the other? That's where we want to begin the conversation today, talking about the state budget signed into law yesterday by Governor Gretchen Whitmer and some of the trade-offs that are being made in that budget. A little later, we're going to take a look at the state of indigent defense representation in our state with the executive director of the Michigan Indigent Defense Commission, as well as we're going to talk to Darren Camilleri, a senator from Downriver, who chairs the Senate Education Committee and is second in command in the Senate right now. He's going to tell us about this unbelievable education budget that is part of the overall budget unbelievable things being done that uh, we have waited a really long time to accomplish here in the state of Michigan. But first, I'm joined by Kalamazoo County Prosecutor Jeffrey Getting. A decade ago, he became the first Democrat to win that office since 1908. And now he's the president-elect for the Prosecuting Attorneys Association of Michigan. Prosecutor Getting, welcome to Detroit Today. Good morning. Thank you for having me on the show. So I want to jump right to the issue that I was addressing there in the open. In a quote in the Detroit Free Press, you mentioned that you feel there's a great imbalance right now in the funding between indigent defense and prosecutors' offices. Tell us more about how this disparity, you think, is affecting the criminal justice system in Michigan. 
Well, I think it's first important to understand how the disparity has come about. A, a decade ago, give or take, indigent defense was solely funded, criminal indigent defense was solely funded by each individual county throughout the state of Michigan. And all of prosecution was each funded by each individual county throughout the state of Michigan. And so there was 83 counties with 83 funding differences in funding. Uh, about a decade ago, there was a lawsuit that was settled that the result of that lawsuit created the Michigan Indigent Defense Commission and placed the burden, the responsibility of providing funding for indigent defense on the state rather than on each individual county. That led to the state um, providing several million dollars in funding to supplement the money that each county was spending, mm -hmm. which helped to balance those scales that you were talking about earlier, providing additional necessary funding for defense so that they could better provide for, for criminal defendants. But what's happened since then has been this exponential increase in the amount of money that the state has put into indigent defense up to leading into this budget. They're now spending $250 million a year on indigent defense in the state of Michigan and providing zero for prosecutorial resources. County prosecutor's offices are still individually funded by each county. Mm -hmm. In this last budget, there is a few million dollars for prosecutorial efforts for the first time ever. We've sort of cracked open that door to have a few offices across the state be provided with some supplemental funding for, for, for our efforts. But it pales in comparison to the $250 million that the state is spending on indigent defense. Meanwhile, our caseloads are increasing, as you noticed. Our, the amount of evidence in each case is, is increasing exponentially. All of the body camera evidence, all of the digital evidence that we see in cases now that we didn't see a decade ago makes our jobs increasingly difficult because we have to be able to review all of that information. Leading to offices like mine and others throughout the state where our assistant prosecutors are handling twice the number of cases they should be doing. And we don't have any additional resources from the counties mm -hmm. in order to hire more people. The counties can't afford to pay for the increase in staffing that's necessary in prosecutors' offices in order to rebalance those scales so that the court system functions the way that it's supposed to. So, so I, I, I wonder what you make of the argument that for such a long time, indigent defense was so poorly funded at the local level that it, it it called out for more resources just to to make it even competitive with what goes to what goes to prosecutors and that and that um, that adding the state support to prosecutors would essentially re um, reintroduce that in, in imbalance. I mean, for a very long time here. In, in Michigan, we've done a very poor job of providing indigent defense. Wouldn't you agree with that? Well, I don't know if I would agree with the characterization that we were doing a very bad job. We, were, we weren't doing a very bad job, but I will agree with you that indigent defense needed to have an increase in funding mm -hmm. and that uh, the state was the right place for that funding to come from. And like, like, you know, we, we talk about things like a pendulum, you know, swings from one side to the other, and, and sometimes it gets too far to one side and has to come back the other way. 
Well, that's what we've seen now. If, if the state increased funding a decade ago by $25 million in order to supplement indigent defense and said, okay, this is where you should be, how do we justify now getting to $250 million? Wasn't well, it based on needs? Swung, well, yes and no. It's, it's based on what they're asking for, not necessarily based on need. And when you swing that pendulum to the la- to to the defense defense side so far what you do is and maybe rightfully so increase the number of hearings that are held increase the number of trials that are held mm-hmm. increase the number of motions that are filed increase the efforts that are being made by the defendant by the defendant's attorneys in terms of litigation throughout the court system which is fine, right? Everybody deserves to have a good, a great defense when they're accused of a crime. Mm-hmm. But the state also, the victims also, have a right to have that same level of advocacy be afforded to them. And we don't now, right? If, if you double the amount of hearings that are being held and the prosecutors, the assistant prosecutors that are assigned to those cases now have twice as many hearings to go to, twice as many motions to respond to, twice as many trials to prepare for without an increase in the resources available to them, without an increase in our staffing levels. All we're doing is making them do twice as much work or not do as good of a job as they should be on behalf of those people who have a right Mm -hmm. to have it done well, the people of the state of Michigan, the victims of these crimes. I mean, there's no question that that prosecutors, in terms of caseload and work, are facing more than they have in 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 recent times and that uh that technology as well the the advances in technology which of course require more work and attention and and research and things uh, also puts a, a a different burden on on that uh, but but give us a sense of from your perspective how how acute that that issue is um, I'll make it real easy. It, let's just talk about body cameras on police officers. Mm-hmm. Ten years ago, there weren't any. In the last decade, pretty much every department in the state of Michigan, from the Michigan State Police on down, has equipped all of their officers with body cameras. And so there's all of this digital evidence out there to be reviewed, mm-hmm. right? It, it, Ten years ago, the police would write a three-page report, a five-page report, a ten-page report. An assistant prosecutor would review those reports and make decisions about whether or not to move forward. Compare that to today, where in murder cases, there's thousands, a thousand hours of police body cameras, ring doorbell cameras, other security footage. There's a thousand hours in, in, in a murder case, but that's unusual, right? It's not all murder cases. But think about just the run-of-the-mill drunk driving case. If you have three officers that are involved, one in the stop, one who comes to the backup at the stop, another one at the station who does the breath test, those three officers are each involved in that case. They prepare reports, but they also have body camera footage and each one of them has been involved in that case for 45 minutes to an hour, that's now another two and a half, three hours worth of videotape that an assistant prosecutor is going to have to watch. Mm -hmm. And that's true in every single misdemeanor and every single felony case. My office reviews 8,000 criminal cases a year. We get charging requests from police agencies for 8,000 cases to determine if a criminal charge should be authorized. Mm -hmm. If there's on average, let's just call it on average, an hour's worth of videotape, body camera footage, 
in those 8,000 cases. That's 8,000 hours, right? Right, sure. That's a lot. I mean, it's just a lot of time. Yeah, when you look at what a 40-hour work week minus vacation times, minus holidays, all of that, you know, it works out to around 1,800 hours a year that a person has to work. Yeah. So 1,800 hours. No, just let me finish here. 1,800 hours is one full-time employee for a year. 3,600 hours is two full-time employees for a year. 7,200 hours is four full-time employees for a year. 8,000 is what we have. It would take over four lawyers doing nothing but watching all of that videotape (laughs) one time just to watch it in a year. And so we've increased the number of hours of work for each case without ever increasing the number of hours of staff. We have the trial court funding commission making recommendations to the state after a report issued a few years ago, asking the state to take over all of the funding for Michigan's trial courts. And we have increases in judiciary happening throughout the state. For instance, in Kalamazoo, we're going to get a new felony, a new circuit court judge in Kalamazoo in the year 2025. What came with that budget? Money for the judge, money for the judge's staff, money for courtroom space, all of those things came with that judge. Mm-hmm. What didn't come with the judge? Money for prosecutors, of course. Money for prosecutors to appear. So, so, uh, and we're going to have to break pretty soon. And I really do appreciate you giving yep. us the time and, and explaining your side of things. Uh, I, I want to make it clear, though. Are you suggesting that we not do what we're doing now on the defense side? In other words, not continue to to boost funding for indigent defense, which is also, uh, you know, an area that's that, that's growing. More and more people uh, are unable to, to provide for their own defense. Or are you just suggesting that we ought to, as we do that, make sure the prosecutors have more as well because of the, of the, the caseloads and the other things that are putting more time on them? You are not trying to take from the indigent defense side, I guess, is what no. I'm getting at. No, I'm not. In fact, I was one of the persons back when the Duncan case was filed in the late 2000s. I was one of those persons doing criminal defense, arguing that indigent defense needed to be funded by the state and um, for increases in funding for indigent defense. It's not a matter of taking away from them. It's a matter of making sure everything is right-sized, right? We want to be efficient with our dollars at the state level. So we want to make sure that we're providing the right amount, whether it's $250 million, $200 million, or more than $250 million. We want to make sure that we are providing adequate funding for criminal defense. That is absolutely essential. But in doing that, we also want to make sure that those scales are balanced and that we are providing adequate funding for prosecution so that the state of Michigan and the victims of crimes are being adequately represented as well. And really the only way to do that is for the state to provide supplemental funding in addition to what's being spent by individual counties, because this piecemeal 83 county, county by county approach that Mm -hmm. we have now Mm -hmm. in the state of Michigan is resulting in Counties like mine and other counties around the state having 50% of the staffing that we should when you look at what our caseloads are. We, the Prosecuting Attorneys Association recently completed a case study where we looked at over two dozen counties across the state of Michigan, Republican, Democratic, large, medium, small, northern Michigan counties, southern Michigan counties, east side of the state, west side of the state, Every single place we looked, there was a shortage in staffing and prosecutors' offices across this state. And depending on the size of the offices, you know, it might only be two or three or four assistant prosecutors. But in those offices, there's only two or three or four assistant prosecutors working there now. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. The reality is, is that every office we look at is, 
is 30% to 50% understaffed. And the only way to fix that is for the state to recognize the need to provide supplemental funding. Okay, uh, Jeff Getting, prosecuting attorney in Kalamazoo County and uh, the president-elect of Prosecuting Attorneys Association of Michigan. Really great to have you here to explain uh, the prosecution side of this funding issue. Thanks so much for joining us on Detroit Today. Yeah, I appreciate the opportunity. Thank you very much. Mm-hmm. When we come back, we're going to hear a little about the other side of this debate. We're going to take a look at the state of indigent defense spending here in Michigan. Kristen Staley, she is the executive director of the Michigan Indigent Defense Commission. She'll join to talk with us about the extra money that they're getting out of the state budget, why they need it, and what difference it will make. We also want to get going with you on the phones and on social Give us a sense of how we ought to divide funding between prosecutors and defense spending in Michigan. Uh, Do you think there's a way to make sure everybody has enough? Or should we err more on one side than another? 313-577-1019 is the number. That's 313-577-1019. You can also go to Twitter and hashtag Detroit Today. We'll be right back with more Detroit Today. This is Detroit Today on 1019 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson, and thanks for joining. We just finished discussing how the new state budget here in Michigan affects prosecutors in the state. But what about the other side of the criminal justice system, defendants? For a long time in this state, indigent defense attorneys faced huge challenges providing quality representation to folks who cannot afford legal counsel. But as the most recent budget from Governor Whitmer increased spending in this area, the question remains, is it enough? How much should we do to make sure that people who can't afford it have decent representation when they're accused of crimes? We hear indigent defense attorneys express their struggles with overwhelming caseloads, limited resources, and compensation systems that don't really incentivize the time and effort that's needed for thorough defense work. But on the other side, of course, critics argue that the system might lack accountability for spending and whether it is used efficiently in support of the folks who need it the most. The question, the big question, is how we strike the right balance to ensure every defendant receives fair representation while maintaining the integrity of the justice system. To hear the other side of this issue, we're now joined by Kristen Staley, who is the executive director of the Michigan Indigent Defense Commission. Kristen, welcome to Detroit Today. Hi, thanks for having me. Yeah. So let's start with what the Michigan Indigent Defense Commission is and what it does. Sure. Yeah. So the the uh, the MIDC or the Michigan Indigent Defense Commission. Um, we're a uh, about a ten year old state agency, um, so somewhat new in the in the world of uh, you know of state government. Um, we are a, an independent agency overseen by uh, eighteen commissioners um, that really run the gamut of stakeholders in the from criminal justice system from uh, you know defense attorneys, judges, prosecutors, county representatives. Um, people who were formerly incarcerated and, and lived experience in the system, um, it, as well as um, uh, from the state legislature, um, from all branches of government. And we're an agency that uh, over, that creates uh, standards for providing public defense in the state of Michigan um, across the whole. Uh, we have 133 um, local funding units. So it's more than just counties. It's also some of our cities as well as townships. Mm-hmm. Um, and the commission sets the standards, um, funds the standards, and uh, enforces them. And so there's a lot of um, a lot of oversight, a lot of technical assistance provided um, amongst our communities to help places come into compliance with the public defense standards, um, and to really monitor that the funds are being used wisely. Um, that this these are taxpayer dollars. We know that very much. Um, but really, also to to you know build a better quality um, system um, for providing defense um, and services to the people of Michigan who are the most vulnerable, who are facing um, incarceration, um, who cannot afford their own attorneys, 
people who are living uh, way below the federal poverty level of um, limits. So it's really, it's a, it's a public service, but it's also one that is constitutionally mandated and is long overdue for the type of funding and investment that the state is providing right now. Yeah. So uh, let's talk a little about the state of indigent defense in Michigan. With our previous guest, I was talking about how I I characterized it as, as us having done a pretty poor job for a really long time. He took issue with that. He said that certainly there were some funding issues, but but I'd love to have you describe what that system looks like and what it has looked like uh, over over many years. Yeah, sure. Absolutely. So, I mean, I'll start kind of farther back, you know, 60 years ago, um, the United States Supreme Court mandated through Gideon v. Wainwright um, that it's the state's responsibility to provide um, to provide services for public defense. For those who cannot afford, afford counsel, it's part of the Bill of Rights, um, Sixth Amendments of our, of our, you know, in the due process of our constitution, you know, we all have the right to counsel um, when we're facing uh, charges of incarceration and, and uh, criminal um, charges. So this, this is not a new issue in terms of having this constitutional right. But fast forward many decades, um, you know, the state of Michigan never really um, realized and and properly funded or adequately resourced this right. Um, you know, it, it had been for many, many years a patchwork um, funding um, amongst all of our local systems, our, our local counties and townships and cities. Um, and what happened is that really there was very little money um, provided. In fact, an independent study that was done found that um, a statewide average that there was about $4 spent per person mm. <laughs> um, wow. on public defense across the state. Mm -hmm. um, that's, you know, I wish I could say that we didn't see that in other states, but many other places are still providing uh, money that is so low of $4 per person. Thankfully, though, with the creation of the Engine Defense Commission um, in 2013, um, along with a lot of other efforts, there were lawsuits. There were also other initiatives that were pushed by Governor then Governor Snyder. Um, that it was really well thought out. Um, it, there was legislation that was crafted that created our commission um, with broad bipartisanship. Um, and it set up standards for really basic things that you would hope if you were facing criminal charges, you would have the, that the attorney that was there representing you would already be having these types of standards and things under their belt. For example, now we require all defense attorneys to be annually trained mm -hmm. where no other attorney is is required to be trained in the state of michigan uh, through um, continuing education credits um, we require attorneys to show up to every single hearing <laughs> and every single proceeding right. um including including at the first appearance in court which is you know you would hope you would have seen that but we certainly weren't seeing at all um there were there were proceedings happening where no attorney was there despite being appointed um, we saw place. We um, another standard is that you at clients um, have to meet with. I'm sorry, attorneys have to actually meet with their clients prior to actually uh, um, seeing them for the first time in court, and it has to be done in a confidential setting. Things were happening where clients were never, never getting to meet their attorney until five minutes before the hearing happens. They were meeting in the hallways or stairwells right. or bathroom stalls. Yeah. Things that you know it seems crazy, but that was very commonplace. Um, our standards that have, you know, we've provided grants and funding to the state um, through our local systems. Now this is our, we're in our fifth year. Um, so it's, you know, it's an experiment for sure. <laughs> it is definitely a granting model though. So, yeah. and, and we work with each one of the communities to make sure that, yes, that we're fitting their needs, but also that we're providing oversight. So the, the funding is actually getting down into the, to the local systems and the providers so that we're actually making sure that think that these types of, um, um, Poor practices are changing. Yeah. So we're actually seeing attorneys show up all the time. We're making sure that training is happening. We're making sure that there's an independence so that, you know, uh, the judiciary and the court can't just pick who's on the list to defend um, a client. Um, so there's, it's really massive changes. Mm -hmm. um, and maybe one of the biggest ones in terms of culture change is that we're actually providing adequate funding um, for experts and investigators, which is something defense attorneys rarely ever used. So oftentimes attorneys were never able to take the hours and the time to really uh, sit down and 
uh, uncover what the evidence is or the discovery. You know, if we're talking about body cam footage or um, other types of crime scene evidence or any just like paper discovery takes out lots and lots of man hours. Well, if you're not paid adequately, you don't have an investigator, you, you know, you're not, it's not like the prosecutors with the police force. Um, that's, that's the kind of work that wasn't getting done. And frankly, it was leading to a lot of, um, a lot of wrongful convictions, you know, prior to us existing, you know, Michigan was in the top tier of states um, of having um, 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 uh, and the listing of wrongful convictions and exonerees. Um, you know, Wayne County even has its own separate unit in its prosecutor's office to yeah. work on wrongful convictions. Yeah. And that's a lot of it leading because leading to the fact that we just really were not providing quality defense. Yeah. Um, people were so getting locked up when they shouldn't be. So I want to talk about the budget, uh, this year's budget, what what happens for indigent defense in that budget and the response that we've heard today on the program uh, from prosecutors that uh, this is introducing an unfairness and imbalance into the system uh, of funding. How do you respond to that? Sure. I, you know, I think there's a couple of things. I, there, by no means do we, you know, are, we're very support, you know, it's a, it's a, it's a, an ecosystem, right. In the league, in our criminal legal system. Um, in terms of all the stakeholders and the and the people who have to partner and to make things run efficiently, um, the the MIDC has always been very supportive of prosecutors getting adequate funding. That's never been an issue, um, and I think it's just um, it's just really not. Um, in fact, we have a seat, um, a prosecutor's seat on our commission as well. But you know, our funding is 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 separate, and the the need for the reason that the the funding is so high is. Um, Frankly, it's because we had such a long way to climb back up. Sure, um, we're in comparison. So, we used to be four dollars per person. We're somewhere in the middle now, around like I think it's like seventeen, fifteen, seventeen dollars per person along those lines. So that's great. That is no, that is right smack in the middle of other states out there. Uh, most many states are much much higher. Um, many states are lower, unfortunately. Um, and I think, yeah, we'll probably see that number grow a little bit because we still have ways to go. Some of our, the MIDC has created, um, has published nine standards for public defense. Hmm. Um, we only have, um, we have seven of them that are mandated um, and that are being implemented out into the local systems right now. We have two more on the way um, that are hope I hope to see um, come uh, and be approved by the state of Michigan, but they haven't yet. Um, and these are things, you know, but the the seven that are mandated include things like providing attorneys with adequate wages so that, that it doesn't sure. disincentivize um, and allows attorneys. We we used to see defendants, I'm sorry, the defense attorneys who literally had to take out loans and second mortgages and go into debt um, so that they can continue to actually practice public defense. Yeah, yeah. Um, they were pitting their own livelihoods against the the, you know, what many defenders find this as a you know, calling. It's not, this is not easy work. But I also, you know, but I I do feel for those who do this type of public service, there's a shortage of staffing everywhere. Yeah. Many of our offices still can't have had job openings and, and postings um, for months, if not almost full years. People, you know, there's attorney shortages in all across uh, the, the 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 ecosystem of working in public service, whether it's for public defense, prosecution, legal services. Um, it's it's a, a giant issue. Mm -hmm. um, so it's more it's not so much just how much money. It's how can we actually think about changing our legal system in terms of how can we get the caseloads down? How can we attract more people to the work? Um, it's m much more bigger picture problems. Yeah. Um, that, that those types of things. Yeah. Okay. Uh, Kristen Staley, Executive Director of the Michigan Indigent Defense Commission. Great to have you here on Detroit thanks. today to talk about uh, the money and the budget. Uh, thanks for joining us. Thank you. When we come back, we are going to continue talking about the new budget here in the state of Michigan, signed yesterday by Governor Gretchen Whitmer. But we're going to pivot to the budget spending for education with State Senator Darren Camilleri. He is the chair of the Education Committee in the Senate, also the Assistant Majority Leader in the Michigan State Senate. He is a Democrat who represents parts of Down River. He's going to tell us about the groundbreaking budget that uh, we have for education 
education in this state right now and what difference it will make in your local school district. Stay with us for more Detroit Today. WDET brings you news about your neighborhood. WDET plays music from the Motor City. WDET amplifies the voices in our community. WDET is your public radio station. You're listening to Detroit Today on 1019 WDET. Stephen Henderson, and thanks for joining. We've been talking today about Michigan's newly signed budget and how it affects our criminal courts. But really, the headline out of this new budget, at least as far as I'm concerned, is the way that we plan to spend on education. $24 billion is the number attached to this year's education budget. School districts will receive $9,608 for each K-12 student in the 2023-24 school year. That is an increase of $458. Uh, there, there are lots of other things as well that we're doing that make a lot of sense in a state that has fallen further and further and further behind when it comes to the education agenda and especially the way we need to invest in it. That's where we want to continue the conversation right now. What did lawmakers hope to achieve in this budget with regard to education? And what do they think the outcomes will look like over the next 12 months? To help us understand that, we are now joined by Darren Camilleri. He is a Democrat from Trenton and the number two Democrat in the Michigan Senate. Uh, Darren, welcome to Detroit Today. Good morning and thanks for having me. Yeah. So let's start here. This is a budget that is being described as historic and transformative. I think they're both descriptors that make sense when you look at the numbers. Uh, but, but talk about what this budget is doing differently and what outcomes we hope to see from it. So those are exactly right. I think that we intentionally wanted to invest in historic and equitable ways for the first time in 40 years. We did see some strong improvements under the last four years with the governor taking charge of the state. She was able to strike some Republican uh, deals on education that many of us supported in the legislature because we knew they were major advancements going forward. But with having a chance to have the pen in Democratic hands in every chamber and in the governor's office for the first time in 40 years, this was our chance to make a mark on Michigan history. And so we chose to do that in the state budget process. Uh, I'm a former teacher. I taught in uh, Detroit. This is personal for you. Very, very personal <laughs> for me. Uh, you know, I walked into my classroom when I was 22 and I had no textbooks. I had no curriculum. They made me department chair. It was very chaotic. Mm. And this was a time where, um, you know, charter schools were uh, on the rise and going uh, into neighborhoods where schools already existed and really saw a major destabilization of the system. And so uh, it was very difficult. I fundraised to get books for my classroom. I made copies uh, to figure out how to get texts for my kids. And I did the best that I could in a very chaotic situation. I think about that experience uh, for two years I taught. I think about that experience every day that I'm up in Lansing. And so when we wanted to craft this budget, I was thinking about my experience. I was thinking about the hundreds of uh, educators in my region mm -hmm. who are working on this, you know, all the tireless teachers and paraprofessionals and special educators who go to work every day thinking about how to best serve their kids. We also took this on the road and mm -hmm. we listened to educators. Mm -hmm. We listened to educators in Detroit and downriver. I held roundtables in Grand Rapids and Macomb County. We wanted to get a feel for what could we do. So with our investments, we spent a significant amount of money on closing the gap on equity. Yeah, we spent over two hundred million dollars. That's to a do huge. That. that is a huge development, and it's something that we've been talking about on this show for a long time. I mean, we're now I think more than a decade past the point where we had a study in Michigan that said in order to make sure that 
uh, that everybody has what they need uh, to educate the kids in their district. We got to stop looking at it in terms of a dollar for dollar kind of exchange. That some districts have such challenges that they need more money than others. I, I think it's a really obvious truth, but we haven't been budgeting that way. This really is the first step toward doing that. So it was a $200 million increase in the at-risk funding line, which we are now calling the Opportunity Index. Mm -hmm. And so this was a novel concept that the Senate passed that I'm very proud to have been the champion of, where we are getting closer to that uh, equity lens that we have seen from studies like the School Research uh, Collaborative. And in this new program, we are spending more money on districts with higher concentrations of poverty. Mm -hmm. And so if you are in an 85% plus concentration of poverty district, you are going to receive uh, a 17% additional allowance per kid. And that is something that is unheard of yeah. in Michigan politics here. Yeah. So we are you know, still going to be investing in every school district, no matter the concentration of your poverty. But the more uh, students that you have that have these needs, we're going to give you more of those resources to close those equity gaps. I mean, in the classroom and the school, where you found yourself as a 22-year-old, imagine what kind of difference that would have made if there were that kind of uh, you know, equity formula back then. I think in, in my experience, we could have not only had the materials that we needed for my students, but we could have had all the supports around me as well, right? We could have hopefully had uh, master veteran teachers to help learn from. We could have had uh, additional school counselors and psychologists and all the supports that my students needed. There were many times where I was filling in for the various positions of a student uh, for what a student needed, and I wasn't ready to take on the role of being a counselor or a psychologist Mm -hmm. or an intervener in some of these very difficult situations for my students. We did have some of those supports. I'm not pretending like it was vacant of those support staffs, but when you have two counselors for 450 students in a very high need school, that's not enough. Yeah. Yeah. And so this additional money, I believe, will make really big impacts in this immediate school district year coming up. Yeah. So uh, my friends on the Republican side of the aisle in Lansing uh, would say that money is not always the key to solving the problems that we have in education and that we have a problem in Michigan and maybe in some other places with spending money and not making sure that they're spent effectively or efficiently and that uh, we end up uh, we end up not moving the needle in terms of outcomes even though we're pumping more cash into things what's your what's your answer to that and what are the kind of things that uh, the, the the democratic majority is now trying to put in place to make sure that when we spend more money we get the outcomes we want Well, it's important that we recognize that the amount of money we've been spending for years was never enough. And so we are just trying to right the ship and be in a position. That's such a key thing to to say. Say that again, please. (laughs) It is very important to recognize that we have not been spending enough money on education for several decades. Uh, We have been disinvesting in our school districts intentionally, I think, on many parts of my Republican colleagues because they don't believe in a traditional public school system. Mm -hmm. And this is our chance to not only right the wrongs, but now we have to go further. And so this budget is setting us on a pathway of creating an equitable school system for all Michigan students. Whether you live in Detroit or downriver or Grand Rapids or in rural parts of northern Michigan, we are also investing in those school districts too. And that's something that I I hope my Republican colleagues recognized, which is why we end up getting nine Republican votes to pass this budget out of the Senate. And that's a huge step in the right direction. Yeah, yeah. There are some other things that you tackle in this budget that I think are really important and and things that we should have been thinking about a while ago. It includes provisions for free breakfast and lunch for all public school students, as well as the first steps toward free pre-K for all four-year-olds. Talk about how important uh, the majority in Lansing thinks those, those measures are. So we are now one of seven states in the country to offer the free breakfast and lunch program for all Michigan students or all students in our public school system. That is a major step to help families. Uh, We saw this during COVID when we did extend that program through the federal government. Uh, It made it easier for so many families. And I, I hear this actually most often out of our budget. This is the thing most families are excited about. 
because uh, sometimes, you know, a mom or a dad forgets to make lunch for their kid out the door. You've got some stigma that kids deal with when they may not have lunch money or they are on this free breakfast and lunch program. And it makes, uh, you know, makes a point of difference for kids in an environment where every kid should be treated exactly equal. Mm -hmm. And so we believe that this is going to not only help families save money, but it's also going to save them a lot of convenience and time and make a learning environment so much more equitable for for our students. Uh, That's something that I'm very, very excited about. And then when we look at the free pre-K program, not only do we expand to another 5,600 students in Michigan, we're also adding a fifth day. So this was a major request that we've seen from childcare advocates and families. The current GSRP program only covers four days. And this now will mirror, have the option to mirror a five-day calendar, just like a traditional school, which I think is going to bring a lot of relief for families and hopefully enroll even more students into a pre-K programs all over Michigan. Yeah. We're talking with Darren Camilleri. He is the assistant majority leader in the Michigan State Senate. He's a Democrat who represents parts of Down River. We're talking about the education budget and uh, what what we're going to do differently, at least over the next 12 months here in Michigan with regard to education, because there's now a Democratic majority in both houses of the legislature. And of course, Governor Gretchen Whitmer is also a Democrat. Uh, If you want to join the conversation, give us a call and let us know if you're a parent or a child or a teacher in our schools. What do you see as the challenges that you face? And how do you feel about what the Michigan legislature and the governor have decided to do to make that a little easier? Is it enough? Is it a good start? Uh, What difference will it make in your day-to-day? 313-577-1019 is the number here on the phones. That's 313-577-1019. You can also go to Twitter and hashtag us, and we can include you that way. Uh, Darren, there is uh, there are some provisions in the in the budget to address the educator shortage and support existing teachers as well to stop losing them as much as we are. But some people say these measures don't fully address the root causes of the shortage, which is low pay and difficult working conditions. Uh, uh, talk about what you're doing and what what else we may also need to do to keep more teachers in classrooms. Fixing the teacher shortage has been a goal of mine for the last six years. We have not made uh, enough progress under um, during my time in the House, but this was our chance to think about it from the lens of educators. I am one of uh, several former educators who are in the, the Michigan legislature in the majority. And not only are we investing in the uh, pipelines, so we have fellowship programs and t- uh, student teacher stipends and advanced training and professional development, all of that that I know is very welcome by our educators across Michigan. We are also investing in keeping teachers in the, in the classroom. An idea that I had that I think is going to make a big impact is actually helping to pay off student loans mm-hmm. for our educators. This is a $225 million pot that will go out based on the type of school district that you teach in. So any educator will be able to receive up to $200 per month if you serve in one of these higher uh, concentration poverty districts via our, our opportunity index, you can receive up to $400 per month to help pay off those student loans. The idea comes from the federal program, where if you teach for 10 years, the federal government will pay off your loans after year 10. But during that 10-year period, you have to make payments. Yeah. And so if you're making $45,000 a year as a beginning teacher, which would be a, a you know an okay salary, uh, you're already automatically minusing out $4,000 or $3,000 from your paycheck because of the student loan payment. This is the state of Michigan recognizing that we're going to support you during that process. We want you to be in the classroom and we're going to help make that transition a little bit easier. In addition, we did set aside about $64 million to help directly increase teacher pay. Hmm. It was a program that I fought for pretty hard to make sure that we are recognizing that the state of Michigan has a role to play here too where we know that the Per Pupil Foundation is the key indicator of how a district can pay teachers. But if we can just directly set aside some money, we know that teachers' pay will have to increase because we're giving it for that exact purpose. Yeah, yeah. So uh, the budget also allocates significant funds for mental health resources in schools. I feel like this is a critical need and has been made much more apparent to us in the last few years. We've only got about a minute and a half left, but I want to talk just a little about that. Yeah, this was a key piece of our budget. Um, We spent over $300 million in this category. 
The thing that we did a little bit differently too was that we gave school districts the flexibility to use this money how they wanted, whether if they wanted it to all go towards mental health, if they wanted to spend some of it on school safety, they can. But we have various needs across the you know hundreds of school districts in Michigan. This is an investment that I believe is going to make a major, major difference, whether it's more counselors or more support for educators to learn how to deal with the challenges of their students, technology, whatever the, the needs that they have are, this major investment is going to hopefully address those root causes and get us on the right path. Yeah. Okay. Darren Camilleri, uh, great to have you here with us in the studio. And uh, congratulations on forging this first budget of the new Democratic majority. It will be really interesting to see how that uh, unfolds over the next 12 months. Thank you so much. Also, I should correct uh, that I said uh, Senator Camilleri was the chair of the Senate Education Committee. That's actually the job of his colleague, Senator Dana Polhink. Um, uh, he is the chair, though, of the Senate Pre-K-12 Appropriations Subcommittee. I gave you a different job there. It's all good. <laughs> Thanks for being here. All right. Uh, that's going to do it for us today. Uh, tune in tomorrow when we look at how government can help people and the case for you, yes, you, to possibly join government to help your community. This is 1019 WDETFM, Detroit's NPR station. Your connection to news, music, and conversation. We'll talk again tomorrow. <laughs>